Welcome to Custom Day Startup Stories. We're developers of web and mobile apps. And in this podcast series, we interview our startup founder clients. We get down and dirty and hear their unique stories, how they got started and what skills they think are needed to succeed. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. Okay, so welcome to the fourth in our webinar series. Um, featuring startups that we know and love. Um, I'm joined today by Craig Saunders, part-time worker at Digital Fusion, happens to own the company as well. Um, and he is also a director here at Custom D, uh, also part-time. And joined with us today is our very good friend. Uh, it's our real pleasure to bring to you Aaron Green, car, Apple, architecture and Tesla fanatic, um, and incidentally founder of a business called Streamtime. Oh, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> um, Craig and I have known Aaron for well over 15 years. We have watched him take stream time from what was a good idea to an award-winning business success. And boy, what a ride. I know it's been now pleasure to kind of be along on that with you. They say there's a fine line between being genius and being absolutely completely crackers. And we think this guy works, walks that line pretty much every day or yeah. crosses the line. Cross the cross, line. Crosses the line. On yeah. the line. Yeah, on the line. on the line. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's always someone that you should run an idea past if he likes it. He's going to find a lot more opportunity than you probably could have done yourself. Um, but if there's a hole to be found, he will definitely find it. Um, and not only will he find it, but he'll show you the way to China in it. Um, Aaron is someone who I admire enormously. Um, his quick wit his drive his energy are truly next level uh, basically when he has an idea you either get on board or you get the hell out the way wow you're in for a treat today <laughs> folks time spent with Aaron is always filled with side splitting cheek cramping good belly laughs um, we've set out a bit of a framework for today's chat uh, if we stick to it I'll be pretty surprised uh, this is a no limits discussion, so if you've got any questions that crop up along the way, feel free to follow them into the, the questions panel. Um, just make sure you're ready for the answers. So yeah. without any further ado, Aaron, yeah. tell Hi, us a Julie. bit about yourself. Um, well, well, tell them a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I, yeah, you can Google me. Uh, <laughs> and what you don't know on Google, what you won't find, I suppose, is... Um, is is, is probably some of the early beginnings. Like, um, you know, I'm from a farm. I'm a farm boy, which... You know, really? I hate farms now. Do you? You're, you're a farmer. You're a farmer. I am girl. a farmer, yeah. Um, Craig comes from a farming background yeah, as well. Yeah, he does. And, you know, I... Look, I, I think that really, that's really important, actually. I, I think the um, coming up on a um, farm or uh, from a sort of a, uh, a background where you're dealing with a lot of sort of mechanical problems, we talk about this number eight wire thing in New Zealand quite a lot, and I think that comes from a farm. Number mm -hmm. one, does it? It does. It yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I think that that idea of tangibly solving something—that's you know, something I've always loved. I always love to tinker around with things that are mechanical and things to fix things that are broken. And and I think that teaches you a lot later on, mm. which we'll get to mm. later on. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Because even though you're a tech guy, like you are quite practical. Like you oh, are yeah. quite hands-on practical, which oh, is yeah. a little unusual in the the tech scene. It's Normally, they have to call a guy. Well, it's actually unusual everywhere not just a tech scene like i think that we've, we've lost that that ability to sort of muck around on the farm like what when you were a kid mm. what, what did you used to do on the farm i mean can I you know. say that ride motorbikes <laughs> yeah same motorbikes yeah but Good i mean things. even just riding a motorbike is in rough terrain off-road is yeah. actually a skill 
yeah. that teaches you a lot about resilience and stuff like that. I'm yeah. going to use that resilient word a bit later on. Okay, great. Yeah, I think... Um, Wouldn't be a talk without it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really important. It's such an important thing. And um, and just like you get down the farm and, and the motorbike breaks down, what do you do? You know, you, it's not like you can just pull into a service station or phone someone to come and get you. Yeah. You have to fix that problem yourself. And you've got to improvise and, and be creative and come up with ideas on the fly. And mm. that's really important. It's resourcefulness, isn't it? And, it's resourcefulness, and, and, yeah. And can do can solve problems. Absolutely. But you sort of don't get a choice. You're thrown in the deep end from that sort of background, I think. So, so, so when did you discover your kind of passion for technology? I, I think, well, you know, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, and, and computers were just becoming, we had things like the VIC-20 and the, um, yeah, we had the... Oh, I forgot to put into there, into the list of things that um, your attributes is you're a massive collector as well, aren't you? I am a collector, yeah. I, well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm nostalgic about some of that stuff, so mm -hmm. I still collect some of that. But um, yeah, so we grew up in this era with the, in the 80s where you've we've got this computer, this personal computer, and you, you have to teach yourself how to code and program and do things. I think one of the the first program I built myself from scratch was actually this sensor that sensed birds landing uh, on an outside a bird nest and it tracked and recorded um, the comings and goings of the birds to the nest. So you didn't know that about me. I is... did not know. <laughs> I did not know that you were interested in birds that early yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if I was interested in birds. It was more than... <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, and my first computer was a Sega SC3000. I bet you don't know much about those. No. Yeah. <laughs> so they were, they were, you still got it? Yeah, I do. I, I have. <laughs> and, you know, they were primarily a computer that you could put cartridges in the side and they, they had gaming cartridges and they were really good with games and graphics, but they also had a basic cartridge so you could plug it in and program. Right. Right. Which is pretty cool. So I actually learned to program there. I learned to program, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to buy that computer, I, so you, yeah, entrepreneurial. I guess my first entrepreneurial thing was how yeah, I tell us about your first experience. Well, you know, my parents didn't just buy me stuff, unfortunately, and um, I had to go and earn money, and then I had to go and buy stuff. I didn't sort of get it handed to me. So um, I wanted this computer. It was about five hundred dollars, which was a huge amount of money mm -hmm. back then. And um, back in the old days. Yeah. So how do you do that on a farm? Well, you grow you grow a cow, right? We had cows, and so I said to Dad, "Can I buy a calf?" hobby calf and then raise it and sell it and with the proceeds um you know i want to buy a computer so the cow was named computer <laughs> and um this and, and and you know he grew up and Better became he became a computer the yeah. second cow was called printer well how long did the cow last like, like well, i don't know how they i don't know i can't remember how so long, long. Uh, i'm just uh, thinking about kind of that delayed gratification you know? oh year and, and so, a half i suppose yeah. Yeah. yeah so a decent amount of time yeah but you you know Unheard of nowadays. But patience <laughs> is so important as well. So there's, if you're writing stuff down, you know, patience and resilience. We've got two words. Are you, are you writing anything? Oh, sorry, that? sorry. Yes. Patience and resilience. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, really important attributes for an entrepreneur. So I yeah. suppose that is my first entrepreneurial pursuit is growing of a cow. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. feel like it's a stretch. But but, but also just being um, technically minded and uh, of things mechanical and, and, and having a general interest in how things work. Yeah. And, and I used to pull things apart a lot. So I used to um, go down to the local tip. And, and, and back in the day before we had eco depot stations, you could go to a tip and help people unload their rubbish. And they would have like um, an old tape deck or a record player or a TV set. And you would sort of help them unload that into your, into your car. 
<clears throat> and bring that home and then fix it and pull it apart. I, I tell you what, you probably got some of those things from our car at the tip because my brother would take things apart, didn't quite right. know how to get them back together again. <laughs> yeah, right. There were a lot of people like that, which is good. It keeps me in business. And so I would um, I would do these things up and, and then sometimes we would actually take these things and we'd sell them at a local swap meet because right. these are these are days before trade meet. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, anything to raise a bit of cash to be able to buy more computer parts, computer games and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, to okay. get to get what you want, do what it takes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, got it. Great, great. You you. It's a classic. It's not mine. It's just... Okay, let, let's fast forward a bit. There. Yeah, go on. I'm pretty sure you didn't write the first version of Streamtime for your Sega. <laughs> Tell us a no. bit about um, where, where did Streamtime come from? How did it come about? Yeah, well, I suppose so. Streamtime is essentially a database, and um, a database, the database, I didn't know anything about databases, but, um, or is it database? But um, <laughs> I, I got to play around with an Apple Lisa computer, which had a Mac, Apple Mac emulator on it. We'll try not to get this too geeky, although your audience is probably a little bit on the geeky side of normal. Um, and it had this Mac emulator in it, and it had a thing called Clarisworks, which um, essentially was a you know, first version of, of FileMaker, wasn't it, in, in there? Mm. And so I, I taught myself how to program as it were, FileMaker, and that will Claris works. Did you and go to university? Yes, I went to university as well. What did, what did, what did Complete you waste of time. If you're at university, leave, get out there and get into the world. <laughs> what did you I say? Spent, I wasted four years at university. Um, computer science, engineering. I, I'm a couple of papers away from an engineering degree. Right. But, but it's a waste of time. So seriously, everyone that works for me has a degree. So if you want to go and get a degree and work for somebody, fantastic i'd say stick it out but if you want to actually do something like what we are doing you don't need a degree um you just need some life experience where were we arguably a degree gives you life experience yeah. <laughs> don't listen to that um so i mean hey like i suppose i i can't talk because i kind of technically got got both i'll put a dollar each way but um it gave me the experience that i don't need that sort of experience uh, but coming back to Claris Works and FileMaker, yeah, I, I taught myself how to how to program it, and I built a database to keep track of the film files for my uncle's architectural practice, um, because it was like a holiday job. He said, you know, we need we've got all these archives. Well, like microfiches. Yeah, no, they were just it was just a, a shed full of files, and they were kind of numbered and, and a cataloging system to try and organize those. Yeah. And so I taught myself how to do a searchable database where you could actually put information about the films and load it in, and something you know someone could load it in, and then it could be accessed over a network. Um, and then from there, um, I kind of I found that really really interesting. So my my first real job, I was selling computers, and I had a lot of access to Mac computers. Um, here in Christchurch at a company called Magnum Mac, um, probably New Zealand's largest Apple reseller, I guess, at the time. And that gave me lots of experience with, with Macs and Claris Works became FileMaker. Um, so we, your first job was in sales? Yes, it was sales and support. Yeah. Oh, actually, my very first job was cleaning freezer bulbs in a freezer factory oh, for a yes. Dutchman. That was, again, that teaches you. Um, sort of a cliche, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah. <laughs> But it really does teach you patience and just focus and concentration on all you're doing is like cleaning these bulbs. It's so boring and mundane. 12 trays of bulbs a day we would clean. And, um, but you know, you're just, sometimes you've got to do that kind of work in order to step yourself up a mm. ladder, I guess. So, um, yeah. It's really interesting to hear you talk about patience because it is not something I would necessarily associate with your 
kind of fast-paced approach to things? Yeah, I, I think you still, you, you have to sort of give things a long time sometimes. So you just, there's, there's a lot going on and you try a lot of things and you fail a lot, a lot of times, but you sort of still have to have that sort of long-term patience and, mm -hmm. and it sort of ties that into resilience as well. So patience yeah. with resilience combined, it's really important to mm -hmm. sort of hold those things through. But, um, yeah, and, and I think since that little early days of Claris, I've always been tinkering around with FileMaker databases. I wrote a database for um, the company I worked for in the UK uh, to track, um, it was called Aaron's Call Logger, and it was uh, logging all the support calls for, the, for a London Apple dealer. And they loved it, and we extended it to include all the support tickets and all the engineering tickets and a whole lot of different things. And then from there, I came back and built another database in FileMaker that was... Um, for tracking uh, at a pre-press studio. And then after that, we kind of got to the early versions of Streamtime. Mm. So that, that in-house project, you were working as a support person at that pre-press? I was the systems, uh, I was actually the, um, what do you call it, group systems manager. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I just took it upon myself to fix that problem because we didn't have a way of, of doing quotes and invoicing and archiving. Mm. It was also manual, so much paperwork and so disjointed. And... Um, like organization and systemizing things really is something that I really love. Mm. Um, like productivity, having good productivity. I hate inefficiency. So, so that's what stream time is all about. I mean, you can't absolutely. answer the next question. Yeah, what problem did you solve with stream time? But that, yeah. that, that yep. application that you built, the mm -hmm. FileMaker then, that was stream time? But you, you, you it was, made yeah, no, it wasn't stream time. From there to, doing to a product, time. to a product. Yeah, yeah. so, so it, we kind of, we, we, we sort of thought we had a product, but we didn't really have a product. What we had was a, a custom database um, yeah. and, and, and we tweaked that database for every single customer. So what we essentially did is we had a really we could count our customers in the first two years in one hand and every single one of them had a slightly different version. And every time we got a new customer, we'd actually kind of improve on the, the iteration. Um, the, the thing is back then with FileMaker, it was very, very difficult, um, if not even impossible, to kind of do things like uh, deploy version updates and stuff mm -hmm. like that to people. So, you know, customer number one has version one, customer two has version 1.1, 1 .1, yeah. customer three has, you know, version two yeah. and so on. And so, and then to get customer version three back to customer one, it was a, it was a massive job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but, but the good thing is all these customers, because we didn't know how to sell the product, we were just charging hours. Right. right? So, so when we began, we were making a lot of money by going back and just um, and charging for all that work because people were getting value every time we spent time updating their system, mm. um, and we we owned the IP at all times. So we were we were constantly building the, the product. So yeah, and I think for doing any kind of startup or any kind of business, you do have to not lose sight on actually making money. Like mm. you can't unless you're a nonprofit or a charity. Mm. It's pretty to be important. honest, even non-profits and charities still have to... They have to survive, yeah. yeah. They, they can't just not spiral and burn cash. That's right. It's really unhealthy. So, so in those early days when you were doing that, those different instances of it, yep. were you thinking of it as a product? We, just we didn't really start thinking of a product until probably sort of year two. And, and then the customers sort of got to 10 and then it, then it got to 20 and it was increasing. And we thought we have to productize this. Yeah. So that um, was actually a yep. distinct decision. It was a decision. And, yeah. and, you know, it's the platform that we're on with FileMaker made it very difficult to, to make a product, but yeah. it wasn't impossible yeah. to get what you uh, want yeah, to. I mean, I mean, FileMaker is, is, is home ground is custom yep. solutions. Custom. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to we're trying to sort of shoehorn a custom tool into a built-in tool. Keep in mind, you know, 18 years ago, 
um, web solutions, web products were very were, well, non-existent 18 mm. years ago, really. Mm. Um, and they only sort of became existent, what, probably 16, 17, 15 years ago. Um, and so very few people had them. And for us to sort of transition or jump into that technology, there were so many different technologies around. You had sort of people like um, Jason Freed at Basecamp doing stuff. Uh, he was probably leading it with Ruby on Rails stuff. Um, but again, the technology of, of the web was early. Yes. People's internet connections yes. were average at best. And so to have all this data and rich information available over an internet connection was, was difficult, um, a difficult thing to sell. Mm -hmm. And then there was, a lot of, there was a lot of fear that people had back then of um, mm -hmm. security and having my information in the cloud, so to speak. Mm. So, you know, you're fighting. So we we had all that stuff taken care of with FileMaker because everything hosted on, on your own. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we, we kind of worked out, we do need to still productize it. We need to find so a that, way. That also acted as your validation of it. Like yes. Those first few clients. Yes, very much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do. You're validating it. Yeah. And you're learning as you go on the yeah. fly, which is um, a good way to do it. Good yeah. way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So it was completely bootstrapped. You didn't sort of... Mm -hmm. We did capital, you, know, you, you know, yeah. enough on that hourly in those instances to, right. to, to then yep. start selling it. Yep. And um, I seem to remember that you also you sold it in the traditional model where you sort of yes. charge a big upfront big fee upfront and then fee. maybe yes. some updates from time to time. That's right. Um, yep. But that that grew out from there to quite a quite a base. That's right. Um, yep. And then I, I I know there's been a number of like pivotal points along the way. Yes. Um, the the big pivotal point I think was 2008 the GEC. And, and, you know, we were humming along selling our FileMaker product um, and we'd even found a way to kind of upgrade it. Uh, yeah. It was pretty cumbersome. Mm, it took several mm. hours to upgrade each client, but it was not impossible. I remember you talking about it, actually, yeah. the way that you used to have to upgrade it using FileMaker. Yeah. There was a lot of smoke and mirrors. Like, we're, we're, again, we're trying to force this product to do something that's sort of not designed to do, mm. um, but but it was getting better and, and we were getting smarter with it and we found ways to do it. But at the same time, we were kind of running towards the end of its usable life for us for, mm. for the way we were using it. Um, but that's okay. That doesn't stop me. I just keep pushing on. Um, I'm kind of, yeah, I kind of always remember that that, 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 that classic Bill Gates, uh, you know, selling DOS <laughs> IBM meeting where he's, he's kind of selling them DOS and uh, he doesn't have anything. <laughs> he's got yeah. nothing. He's like, he comes yeah. out, he sells it to them and he comes out of the meeting like, we don't even have it. We've got to go away and write it. Yeah. It felt like we were doing that all the time, yeah. constantly. Yeah. Um, so ballsy. You don't yeah. have to write that down. It was in the introduction. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think in the GEC 2008, we um, that's when you switched to we switched to we switched to a monthly SaaS model of, yeah. of a monthly fee, and that was the that most was a terrifying. huge turn. Yeah, it was a terrifying thing to do. Yeah, like we had we had regular income coming through, and we well actually. Didn't you have irregular income? Um, well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, we would we were actually really good. It was it was fairly predictable, but yeah, if we stopped selling. Mm. Uh, in a month, money stops coming in, and that's mm. really terrifying. Um, like the 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 resilience part of being a, a founder kind of kicks in at this point because you know I distinctly remember you'd be coming towards the end of a month, and you'd be I don't know there was maybe just two of us in the early days um, working, and we'd be you know we'd be doing like I don't know two hundred uh, what would be doing two two twenty thousand uh, dollars turnover in one month, and we'd be thinking that's amazing, that's a great <laughs> month, right? And it was for a couple of people. Um, Maybe thirty thousand. Is this when you still had Philip? No, no. This is just when we had a couple, a couple of Craig and I um, working right. in the business. Yeah. And so, 
you'd get to the end of the month and you'd be on this huge high, right? On the 29th of the month, it would be so good. What a great month. You'd go out for lunch, you'd celebrate. And then you'd wake up the next morning on the first of the month and you'd be in the lowest, darkest, most depressed <laughs> place you can imagine. And that would repeat every month because you knew when you woke up, you're back to zero for your month. Well, this is what they talk about with sports oh. people as well. They talk oh, about yeah. these, these huge kind of wins yep. and, and then, then and then the, 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 the fall away straight away. It's a really dark place you yeah. get yourself into because you've got this extreme high and then the next morning you're in a low and no one's celebrating that morning when you've got zero and you mm. now have to get back up to 30, 40 grand, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And especially when you've got all those so, wages to pay. So the SAS model, the ongoing yep. rental model, what did that mean for you? Like, how did that change that view of the business? It's, well, it was more about being like a, a great mentor uh, of mine told me, look, you, you're going to have to, to scale this business, you need to go to the sort of SAS model. And I think I did all the numbers and it looked terrifying. You know, moving everybody to a small monthly fee rather than big upfront fees was, was going to be a massive hit on our monthly recurring. Mm-hmm. But I thought we had the money in the bank to be able to buffer it for a few months. I did some projections, I thought it might work. Um, None of our competitors and our direct competitors were doing it this way. So we mm-hmm. were attacking them quite hard. Gee, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, everybody yeah. does now. now <laughs> they do, yeah. It's the standard. No, they were all doing what we did. They were selling it with bigger, as much as they could possibly get up front. But yeah. they just wasn't sustainable. So we, yeah. we, yeah, so we, we, we launched this. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, but we did start to pick up a lot of customers. They're only paying, I think it was £22 per user per month. And it's a tiny, tiny amount. You mm-hmm. know, and our first month looked terrible. We then found out that um, we had this, this big problem because the accounts person that we had at the time maybe misled us into thinking we had this much money, but we actually kind of had this much money in the bank. And we, <laughs> we had about, a, a long story short, I had about a $100,000 wage bill to pay and I didn't have anything. And I, I mortgaged up to here. I couldn't borrow anything else from the bank. I was in the UK with my family trying to get the UK started. We're in a GEC. 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 Isn't it a glo- global Fine. economic crisis? Fine. Oh, whatever. <laughs> the crisis of 2008. Yeah. And I was in a crisis, right? And so... Um, so what did you do? I, I, I got down on my knees and I just did... Uh, I, I went to my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> my, mother-in-law my mother-in-law is... She is not a wealthy lady, but she had just received this inheritance. And I literally asked for all of this inheritance that she'd received Holy from smart. her friend <laughs> to borrow. And I worked out... I had worked out that I could repay it to her in six months with interest. Put this on your business plan. <laughs> look, look, I it was the it was the worst thing with the lowest thing I ever had to do is to kind of get into the state. But I was we had some momentum and I could see that this this could make or break us. And so she was she was very kind. She said, look, yeah, absolutely. We we did it through a lawyer. We did it officially. Like mm-hmm. we, okay. an official loan was drafted. Yeah. It wasn't a family. It was done by family, but it wasn't a family because yeah. mm-hmm. the bank wouldn't do it. And I did, I paid her back. We, we, things did start to pick up, started to grow. And we started to become the leading system in the UK uh, and in Australia. And yeah, I, I suppose the rest is sort of history, but that, that was a terrifying time. Mm. Yeah, resilience. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. I remember you, uh, the iPad came out around then too, it was mm-hmm. 2010, I guess, yep. um, by now. Um, and, and you, you, started to then incentivize people to actually prepay for time. Is we did. Part yeah. of the measures that you kind of invented to yes. get you through. That's right. Yeah. 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 So we so we the iPad came out and we had an iPad app, um, a native iOS app. And you know, we were one of the first to get an iOS app up and going uh, and in the app store. Yes. 
What's that? Yeah, yeah. Ernest. Ernest used to work for you guys. Um, he did it for us, and um, we got it featured on front page of Apple.com, which is pretty cool. It was in Apple stores, which is even cooler. It was on that big mosaic, wasn't it? It was on the mosaic in front of every store where mm. our icon was hanging. Mm -hmm. And, and that, for me, that was a bucket list thing mm -hmm. to, to be in the Apple stores because I'm such an Apple fanboy. And um, even to speak at Apple stores was another another milestone that we were able to do. And we spoke in the London Apple stores, and we spoke in. Um, uh, San Francisco Apple stores and Sydney Apple stores. So um, those were great. Those were really, really good times, but a lot was happening in the marketplace. And you know, we were still on FileMaker back here, back then. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we were pretending we had this SaaS product as in we had, we were selling it like a SaaS product, but it was actually an installed on-premise tool in FileMaker. And um, there's a bit of smoke and mirrors to sort of make all that work, mm -hmm. but we did. Yeah, the work. thing is, the thing is with the with SaaS bikes, very definition, you are, you have an ongoing relationship with the client, so you are trying to manage all these instances of it. Yeah. So you transition to a single multi-tenanted solution, which is now web-based, right? Yep. It's <laughs> right. really technical. Can you translate that for us? Because multi-tenant sounds good. So um, yep. well, you have one, you yeah, have yeah, one yeah. stream time yes, now. That's not, right. Not two hundred stream Correct. times yes. or two thousand stream yes. times. Yep. Um, Hosted on Amazon.com. Not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that transition, well, I don't know, 2014, 2015, that was a huge reinvestment. Yes, How did you approach that? What, what, what was your kind of thinking there? I think ballsy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. It was just like we realized our old product was a dinosaur and, um, and we owned that. We said, you know, it is a dinosaur. We have had it for, at that time, I don't know, for 14, 15 years. Yeah, um, it's pretty long for a software Yeah, product. we're going to rewrite it from scratch and we're gonna we're gonna actually rethink it from scratch as well not just rewrite it we're yeah. rethinking it and that you know you can you can find out all about that on um on one of the links below through the journey that we took to do it but essentially we hired an agency to work with us and um we interviewed a lot of customers but we also interviewed people that weren't customers and we looked at what was going on in the industry and we started to liken our product to things that were lovable so we looked at um, tools like um, an Apple Fitness and, um, you know, like the Nike Run Club. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we looked at stuff that people like using on their apps and apps that they love using and how do they work and what is it that gives you that sort of feel-good feeling when you use an app. And what was the answer? Well, the answer, uh, and we also looked at industry and what they loved and hated about it. And what, what the answer was, is, um, well, the big resounding message that we got right up front was timesheets suck. Like mm. nobody, nobody likes doing timesheets. And there was a small yeah, problem. Well, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. a small problem. Yeah, well, as a business owner, you would. Probably we will love them. <laughs> no, one, no one loves them. And, and, you know, if you're sitting in the room and I'm interviewing your staff, they'll all go, we love them, Julie. <laughs> but they don't. That's what they say, yeah. That's what they say. <laughs> Look, I don't think anybody loves timesheets. Not only the people that have to complete them, but actually the people that have to nag about them. Yeah. yeah. But we dug into what, what about that was about that. And it wasn't just that they sucked. They were also inaccurate. Um, people would just fill them out as per Julie wants us to do 40 hours a week. So we're just going to put 40 hours. It's eight plus four, you know, it was never accurate. Um, and then therefore the data coming from them was sort of average at best. Just to any of our customers, our time entries are accurate, just FYI. Yeah, absolutely. They might not be. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would always question that. Um, <laughs> anywho, uh, all that to say, we discovered that was a pain point. The big problem was we had a timesheet our product is a timesheet system, right? And we thought we've got to throw away timesheets. So we're basically taking the core of our product and we're going to throw that away and say we don't want to do timesheets. So the whole industry works on time-based billing 
Created primarily? Initially. Yes. Um, there's a bit of a shift, but at the time, yes, it, it is. Yeah. It's still a big deal. And, and even yeah. if they aren't, they should at least know what time they're spending on something to mm. understand profitability and the job, et cetera. True, true. Yeah. So, so one way or another, you had to kind of record what was being done and yeah. use that data. But, yeah. but the creative industry is more of a value-based charging kind of model usually, isn't it? Half of it is, yeah. And yeah. That's, a good, that's a good system to use. But, yeah. but there's still a lot of people that build time. Mm. Um, and then, you know, if you, you've got to, yeah, to manage it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, I mean, I think timesheet suck. We found a way to, we found a way to solve that using a smart to-do list. And there's, there's, there's information about that on our website, but I think, um, and then we sort of went through every other part of the software bit by bit and sort of found out what is it people hate about that and what does it need to look like? Um, so what does a modern piece of software need to look like? And mm. so, um, yeah, we did pretty much, we looked at what our competitors were doing and then we just didn't do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's really risky and yeah. it intimidated our existing customers because we still had existing customers on our old platform mm. and we had, you know, something like $5 million worth of recurring revenue at that time on the old product. And here we are saying we're discontinuing that product now. Um, we'll just keep supporting it and we're not doing anything more with it. And we're writing this brand new product that, by the way, doesn't have timesheets and it's completely different. And it's from scratch and it's on the web. That's a big expectation to, to tell your, your customers that yes. they yeah. have to change. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't really like it. Like right. I mean it was they were intimidated by it. And yeah, but they were intrigued. Um, some of them were early adopters and they would jump in and they would uh, have a play with it and go, Oh, it's kind of cool, but I'm going back to what I have because mm. old stream time has got 50 plus 15 years of product, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that it does. And even though it's a dinosaur. It got the job done, and mm -hmm. so they were they weren't going to change in a great hurry. So you know we went through. So this is 2016. So we went through a number of years, three or four years, where you know we're just slowly trying to get new customers on board with a new product, and um, and building lot, it out feature wise, and building it out as we go. You know, yeah. rapid rapid deployment. We would. Yeah. I think I don't know how many releases we've done now. It, it, it's probably in well over 100 releases now since we launched uh, in 2016. But we were doing you know one or two releases per month. And with every release, there'd be new functionality and bug fixes and all the usual sort of stuff. But mm. Of course, you can do that on the web, which is great. Mm. Okay, so uh, that's that's interesting to get some of those insights on stream time. And we've 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 watched your business grow and, mm. and seen it just so radically change over the years, yeah. and and kind of have experienced some of those um, you know gut wrenching moments when mm. you make those big leaps. Um, terrifying. Yeah. So, um, so aside from founders, like what do you think are some of the critical ingredients needed for a startup to be successful? Well, um, you, you obviously need a really good idea. Mm -hmm. um, so ideas are cheap. Yeah, no, it has to be a really good idea, not a cheap idea. It has to be a good idea. It can't be done before. And if it's been done before, you have to have a new angle on it. Um, and you know, you need to get a, you need to sort of figure out, I guess, you know, I'm going to use some terminology that, that Seth Godin, um, who we, mm -hmm, we all, mm -hmm. we all, everyone knows and loves Seth, who can argue with him. Uh, you know, he talks about your tribe, you know, and uh, your tribe of people that are around your idea. So whatever your idea is, it's, um, you know, you've got to have a tribe of followers that sort of also gravitate towards your idea. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had a lot of people that were really enthusiastic about timesheets suck. Um, at the very beginning and so we had a huge tribe of people and we had lots of people trialing it but it actually turned out that getting rid of just timesheets and, and and that and that alone was sort of only attracting really small one two person teams and who just sort of you know wanted 
quicker ways to do them for themselves. They weren't the sort of ultimate target that we wanted, which was sort of a more of a small to medium-sized business with a bigger team. So we had, to, we had to keep refining the product around that. But anyway, coming back to sort of the tribe of people that follow you, you've got to have, you've got to have your idea. You've got to have, um, you've got to have something, a kind of a cause that people get behind. Mm -hmm. Simon Sinek, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he, he, he's, he's someone that talks about this a lot. Um, the why, like what's the why around your idea? Don't just have an idea. Why is it what it is? And, um, and how can we all get behind it? And how can other people get behind it? And most importantly, how can your team, your staff, get behind it? Because mm. they won't get behind you as a person necessarily. They'll get behind your idea, your vision, your cause. Right. So for the, it's got to be a good idea. You've got to have a cause. Yeah. And you've got to have a founder at the heart of it all kind of sharing the vision. With, with resilience. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that puts on the face every day. There is like um, everyone looks to that person to give them the guidance that they need to keep going. You'll have heaps waited on you. You'll become a counsellor um, to your team and you have to be prepared to do that. And to me, that's one of the greatest privileges of being a founder, actually. I mean, our, our team, I, I don't work in the business day to day now. I've got a wonderful, um, uh, wonderful uh, general manager that, that runs the business in Sydney. And, um, but our team is, you know, have, and spending time and, and getting to know everybody in our team has it, been an incredible privilege over the 18 years. And I consider them all friends. Wow, 18 years. Yeah, oh, it was 19 this year. Yeah. Was it, was it um, difficult to get like them on board with the new product? Or was that easy? It's, it's never easy, but I mean, I think you do have to have a, you know, they say, you say, you said at the start, I've got sort of an energy around you. People gravitate towards that. And, um, and they do genuinely get excited. And as long as they know that you can walk the walk and can't, don't just talk the talk. So, mm. you know, it's, um, yeah, I, you're kind of rallying people up all the time and getting them excited about something. Uh, and then explaining the why, like, why are we doing this? They need to know that. And then um, how do we do it is the next question. And then yeah. you, you show them how we're going to do it. And then they'll get behind you and support you and support what you're doing, that cause. And then you can kind of keep growing. So your things. team also would have to be a critical part. and Absolutely critical. Yeah. Absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like we always had this uh, idea uh, when we were hiring in the early days, and, and we still kind of run this in the checklist, is like, would the person that you're hiring be somebody that you'd want to bring back home for a barbecue and spend time with you personally outside of work? Because if they, if they are, then hire them on that alone almost you know mm. you can train you can train people everything how does that kind of how does that align with a more modern view around diversity because if you hire people that you yep. would naturally be friends with then you 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 do run the risk of sort of sitting in an echo chamber really don't mm -hmm. you it depends what sort of friends group you have <laughs> with <laughs> so i think that depends a lot on that I, we, we've got an incredibly we've always had an incredibly diverse group of people in our team um that probably comes about though for us because we started hiring outside of Christchurch in you know, mm -hmm. the South Island. I think you know we could have a whole different <laughs> podcast about how perhaps non-diverse we are in this mm -hmm. island. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you're in Sydney, when you're in London, you're hiring. You know, I, uh, I've got office person in Dublin. You know, it's um we've got all kinds. I've got an office in Ghent in Belgium. You know, and there's a lot of different um, cultural backgrounds mm -hmm. that uh, that people bring to the table. Um, and we've always had that in the company and mm. that is that's awesome i mean that's that's what makes it so much fun that's what makes it so much interesting and and it's um and it creates for good robustness as well when yes. you're sort of discussing ideas, ideas are getting things. challenged absolutely because yeah. yeah. they want to know the why but they want to know they're thinking about it from their 
kind of their their mindset, mm. which is good. Mm. Yeah, because our customers are spread as well. So you know, we're we're Australia, UK, around the world, very few in New Zealand. Mm. Okay. Um. So just staying on the the startup or starting a startup or building a startup. Yeah. Um. Tell me about your thoughts. I know that you have kind of bootstrapped, aside from your mother-in-law, you've bootstrapped the business. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But what are your thoughts around sort of that versus VC funding, angel investment, that sort of thing? Yeah, um, I think I, I've always steered away from any sort of VC funding. Look, it's not to say it's wrong. I think it works for some people. Mm -hmm. I think uh, absolutely. I think you can get it going. It's just never been anything that I've been interested in doing. I think I'm too much of a loose cannon to probably need, have that kind of accountability over my head. So I've never. We, have, an, had a we board. have another client like that as well, actually, yeah. and their resistance to the VC mm. funding has really been around the fact that they are, you know, I don't want to say cowboys, but they they like to shoot from the hip and and be very yeah. nimble in the way they and don't want to be kind of having to answer to anyone. Yeah, but yeah, and and that's not to say that you can't have both because it is possible to have both, mm. but um, being light on your feet is is pretty important. Also, I, look, I'm. I, I'm probably more on the risk taker side, as you mm -hmm. well know. Yeah, not reckless though, no. I, no, no. Yeah, you because know, that's the, the danger and a VC looking in may not, well, it's two things. They, they may not be able to tell which yes. case camp you're in. Yeah. Um, and, but that sort of trusting relationship is something that is that is built up over a long period of time and you don't necessarily have the, mm. the luxury of that time to build that relationship so that they do yeah. trust, you know, that's that right. you're not being completely crackers. I wonder yeah. some of those turning points you made like like going to SaaS and, and switching platforms and reinventing the whole product, that would have been a hard sell to a, to a yeah. venture capital. Absolutely, you've got to really, well, absolutely. Well, especially when you did that SaaS, because, when you did move to SaaS, because that was really at the beginning of the whole kind of SaaS mm. um, movement. Well, well you it? see, one of, the, one of the things we did, I, th I think the thing that we did that would have made them very nervous if they were involved, was you know we had five million of five point five million of recurring revenue when we when we stopped selling the classic product. So it was we were adding revenue at about half a million a year on that product, and we just switched off the tap and stopped selling it. Now there's a reason we, we the reason we did that. Like a, 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 anyone that's involved in the um, you know in, in your business would see that and go, no, that's a revenue stream. You've got to keep that coming in and while you're doing the new stuff. Mm. Keep selling that because that's yeah. that's good. Um, the reason though. I stopped is I, I needed to clearly send the message to my team, our own team, yeah. that I believe in what we're doing. Like I am so much believe in it that we are actually, because we were all getting to that point where the, the classic product, the old product, it was, we all knew it was becoming a bit of a dinosaur. And it was to drag that along for the ride mm. with the team. It's like, they're all going, yeah, Aaron, you're trying to do this new thing, but you're, you're putting a dollar each way, mm. you know? And like, I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be right. very clear. They went all in. We're, <laughs> we're going all in guys. Yeah. And so, and they were all in with me. Yeah. And so they were excited. They were terrified. They we're all terrified, but they, they wanted to follow that, that and, and put everything into that's the That's so new. smart to really focus all your energy on one thing rather than, yeah. you know, uh, take a really do, kind of hesitant approach mm. that, that would have meant that you're trying to satisfy two quite yeah. disparate business models yes. um, with one team, yep. one with one small team. That's right, yeah. Mm. And so, you know, and it was it was a pretty tough decision to sort of turn off the development on the old product, to be honest. But um, it's at the same time, I knew that we had to put everything into the new, and so we did, and and some. 
And so, you know, we spent insane amounts of money and time and effort building up that new product in, a, in a, an insanely quick time frame. And um, yeah, we're now at a point, we've been at that point for a while now where we've got a mature new product that's growing, that people love, you know. Um, yeah, what stage do you see, <clears throat> how do you kind of describe Streamtime now? Is it a mature business? Is it a, I don't know, I mean, are you still want a kind of high growth yeah, um, strategy? Yeah, oh, you're always on a growth strategy. Mm. Um, yes, it's a mature, well, it's a mature business and it's a mature product. So we still have the classic product ticking away um, and we look after it and support it. Oh, we don't support it, actually Craig's company now supports it for us. But um, it's, you know, we maintain the licensing structure for it. We maintain the clients and we always have a path for them to move when they are ready to do that. And we put all of our energy and focus onto the new product now. And so, yeah, it's growing and it's, um, it's loved by everybody. I think for us, part of the validation of all of that is you know, we, we get people to write these um, reviews on Captera, which is a, review, a generic re review site for SaaS. And you read through some of the comments about what people are writing about our product now. And, you, and, and it's just, it's, it's heartwarming to think, mm. wow, like they love, they love this product and, and mm. as much as we hope they would. Um, you know, if you were to read the product, the, the comments from our old product towards the end, you know, I, I think we might have just had to delete that. I think I had to call Captera and say, can you just delete all the old stuff because we're actually start resetting the product and I don't want any of that old. Not relevant. They weren't, yeah, they were yeah. pretty. Mm. Mm. So, with, so with your new stream time, it, one yep. of the questions we were talking about is, is what sort of car is it? Yeah, yeah, well, okay. So, so before that, you have to understand, I, I use this analogy of cars a lot and I told the team, you know, what we have with the old stream time when we were about to do the transition is we have a, a Volkswagen Passat, okay? So no one ever got fired for having a Volkswagen Passat. That's a good car, right? It's a good car. It's European, it's a little bit, it's a little bit classy. It's kind of cool, but it's still just a Volkswagen, every, every person's car, right? Um, and however, it was being sold as an Audi, mm -hmm. right? Like it was being touted and presented in the marketing mm -hmm. as an Audi, but it was actually a Volkswagen Passat. Now, technically mm -hmm. same parent company, so, you know, it's just that an Audi, if you sit in an Audi and you sit in a Volkswagen Passat, they're a very different experience, but still we would sell it as, as a, you know, and that and that's pretty typical actually of the way you're used to selling. Some of our ads going back to 2009, 2010, they used to read things like um, the best software solution in the world or something, you know, like you would make these claims and this was very typical in advertising <laughs> and you've got no way of substantiating it didn't really matter people would read best software solution in the world and, and most love software and they just buy because uh, nowadays you actually we, we actually use this thing called you know um uh, the authenticity we write authenticity down if you're following all at home because that's a really Thank important you. Authentic. authenticity and so we're much more authentic in fact we're also transparent is another good word you, so you know we, we tell people what goes on in the sausage factory what goes into the sausages and um you know we we give even to the extent that we're transparent with our own staff, we, we, they see all our accounts, they see uh, you know, everything, they see everything. There's nothing, nothing hidden and we report it to them on a regular basis. Do you report your profitability, like yes, your net profit? Absolutely, yep, we do. And um, uh, Andy, uh, who runs the business now, is, is regularly reporting that and using that as one of the Why did you decide to do metrics. that? Really there's nothing to hide, because there's nothing to hide. Um, I've never had anything to hide. I don't think there's any, I think when you start hiding you, things, I think it's I think it's fine if you're doing well in some respects. But what about if things aren't going great? Oh, we well, they weren't like we've we've 
there were times when they weren't. So they, like, um, did you not freak them out though? Yes, yes, you do. But you, you, you we did freak, we did freak people out at times. But you don't do it to freak people out. You, it's in the delivery. Like you're not doing it as a tool to sort of push people around and bully them into being scared. No, no, no. I mean, like, but, you know, do, do they do they worry? You know, do they worry that yeah. you know how secure is my job? Yeah, you know, they, this business isn't yes, going very well the last yes. few months. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely, they do. And especially with the transition from from one tool to the to the next. Mm. Um, you know, they see what those numbers look like. But to be fair, they see them anyway because you know they can tell that sales are down a little bit this month. So why not show them everything? Like show them how the business operates, because it's about getting that overall buy-in to the whole. Like I was talking about the whole cause behind it. Like yes, we're a business. We we're not ashamed of being a profitable business. Mm. A profitable is a healthy business, and you would. But you I'm, have also been a very generous employer as well. Like you right. know, Streamtime's had some of the best. Social functions yeah. that I've seen. Yeah, we have. That's <laughs> for true. a small business. Benchmark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Whole team to Europe. In the days when we could travel. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And I think that's important as well. And that's part of being transparent and, and just sharing sharing everything with everybody. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it was, man, a lot has changed in 18 years. In the sense that, you know, it's, um, we've gone from sort of selling a very different product to a very, to an online product. And we're all sort of learning and pivoting and, so back to the original question, what car yeah. are we now? Okay, so now, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, well, now we are, uh, no, it's a Tesla. Okay. It's a Tesla. <laughs> now we're the Tesla Model 3. And I say that because, you know, we've written, we've, we've rethought project management software from the ground up in the same way that Elon rethought, you know, what an electric car needs to be and rebuilt it from the ground up, apart from yes, the Mercedes uh, indicator stalk and the steering wheel. Um, but um, it's essentially a ground up from scratch idea. Right. And he rethought the infrastructure and he rethought like he's, he's thinking ahead of all these things. And that's exactly what we are doing. And that's the sales our model as well. The sales model is exactly the same. So yeah, we're very much, that's what we are now. And we're setting ourselves apart from the other automakers and going, you know, it's, even to the extent where he says we're not a car company because because actually primarily they're an energy company tesla yeah. so um you know and we're thinking about that exact thing at the moment as well like we're not a being an energy company <laughs> not a not so much on the project management side but we're about solution like we've got a solution for you and we're you know we're looking at the moment around around that as well so we're Andy does a huge amount of work in the area of mental health and we should put some links down and do a shout out to Never Not mm -hmm. Creative um, for all the work that he does there in the industry. Andy, do you want to post those links? So yeah, yeah. There? Put, put them in there. Um, you know, because mental health in the creative space is a, is a really big problem. Uh, it is in every space, but in, in, in the industries that we work in, we see a lot of it. Um, people are sort of overworked, underpaid, uh, underappreciated, all that kind of stuff. And so we're looking at ways that we can incorporate this sort of workflow and mindset into our offering as well so um how does that look in a product how does it look in our service offering you know um do we practice what we preach and the answer is yes we do um but you know how do we communicate that to to, to our customers and how do we get our customers on board with that kind of stuff as well because it's really really important but we don't just stop there as well we're also looking at um are we sort of more of a consultant to businesses because we find that a lot of the time when we're talking to customers about our software what they're really asking is not how to use our software it's how to run our business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know that so we're you know i know andy uh, is spends a lot of time with business owners and and just talking to them about his experience so he comes from a creative background as well so in an agency well, when these, when these, i mean we're, we're much the same you know when customers come to us they 
they come to us because they have a problem or a pain yeah. point that they need to solve. It is around the yeah. business infrastructure in some way. That's right. Um, and we come in with a, you know some some software that might be able to address those or, or custom software or Streamtime or yeah, yeah. FileMaker. Yeah. Um, but you know it does kind of you you get to know a lot about a lot of different businesses um, and what works and what doesn't work. Oh, and, yeah. and, become that kind of advisor that you're talking about yeah absolutely so again we'll tie that back to tesla yeah but they're an energy company they happen to sell cars they happen to sell batteries they have to sell the solar roofs you know a whole lot of different things charging network <laughs> do you have a tesla powerball you know i do <laughs> but most importantly i have shares in tesla um i thought i'd wear this shirt today because the last person that wore this shirt on a on a podcast got over 60 million views really yeah yeah and how do you how do, how do we let people know you're wearing that shirt uh, well i mean i think they can see it they can probably recognize it right. it's, it's video right yeah yeah so um yeah so, so in the in the seth rogan podcast with elon musk um you know there was there was he's had over 60 million plus views maybe 70 like right. i must count um right so, so hopefully that helps, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking this is going to bring in, yeah, yeah. you know, this yeah, is well, I viral. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, we're going viral, good. I should hope so. Okay, um, so let's talk about some personal stuff for a little bit. We're, we're actually kind of only got a few minutes left. Good, um, good. good. <laughs> but I do want to kind of cover some of the stuff because you have touched on mental health. And um, I would like to know, like, what has been... The most challenging you talked about when you had to go cap in hand to your mother-in-law and yep. ask her inheritance yeah um would you say that that is the most kind of challenging phase in your business no. career so far no what what is Tell the, me, the most me. challenging phase has been um having to let people go right you know that that, that is that is incredibly you know they're friends uh as well as work colleagues and when those times come and we've we've fortunately you know haven't had huge amounts of that over the 18 19 years but um when they come mm -hmm. it's awful it's yeah. awful it's it's um yeah what has kind of um preempted that like why have you had to let people go i mean you have had a growing business to, to maintain well it's 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 you're looking you're constantly looking at the at the business and you're trying to maintain keep the business going you know for a business to last more than 10 years in this day and age is, is incredibly rare for it to last this long is even rarer um and you you need to keep the business going at you know and, and you need to make sure that it's going to be there and healthy for for people in another year's time or two years or three years and for your customers mm -hmm. that you have as well so you're constantly looking at, at, at i think everything. that's a really good point actually um is the responsibility that we hold for our customers yes you know oh yeah you know, having having built systems that are totally integral to a business's operational requirements. Yep. You know, if something happened to Custom D or Digital Fusion or Streamtime, yep. you know, you, you run the risk of just absolute disruption to so many people. Yeah, you do, yeah. absolutely. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, yeah, look, all those pressures weigh down on you every day, you know, <laughs> no, no worries, right? Um, but um, it's... Yeah, that's where I suppose you have to be very resilient and, and, and you are actually carrying a really huge weight. So it's not just the customers, you're carrying, you know, staff, colleagues, friends, their mortgages, their families, you know, <laughs> they, you know everything. And, um, and you have to absorb it all. Yeah, you take it all. You're, good. Yeah. you're, taking, you're, you're, you're driving a ship and they're all there on board yeah. with you. And so um, it's, 
it's really you know there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there and mm. um and it's really hard to manage that has there ever been a time where you thought that's it that's too much i don't want to do this anymore no no there hasn't um it's, it's never it, no because you should another thing to write down would be never give up right never give up never. if you're going to give up don't get in it in the first place um i think that was graphically illustrated by your story about that funding yeah yeah totally keeping yourself going and, and making that commitment. Yep. yeah to get what you want do what it takes uh that's already written down yeah i've got that uh, yeah um so, you know never give up i think yeah you have to have that sort of level of resilience because if you're gonna if you even show signs of wanting to give up your team your your customers they'll all sense it, it they'll start to lose faith in you and it's sort of wheels start falling off at that point i think hmm. so um but yeah look coming back to the mental health thing like that that is a huge weight to carry and um yeah you have to make sure you've got got good friends and good mechanisms in place to actually help deal with that yourself in your own brain because it can get to you yeah. if you let it yeah and it can take you to uh, horrible places mm. so yeah important to have good so, support yeah, around don't you, be afraid to talk about that to, to people that you trust and do you know. talk about that in your men's group we just drink beer we can it's a, it's a it's, we could if we wanted that's right um yeah, we, we can um but yeah. yeah okay so uh just quickly uh give top reads podcasts top reads i think we've said a few of them already um so so anything by seth godin is great purple cow comes to mind you know create something that sort of sets sets apart these are old classics but mm -hmm. but they're still really good um simon uh cynic mm -hmm. uh look for his, his ted talk i think it's the second largest view ever, TED yeah. talk ever done all he talks about why why you're doing something what's central around that um you know i enjoy i enjoyed elon's uh, autobiography was it autobiography mm. whatever it was. Oh, i enjoyed hang on, that. Someone, hang on the week getting getting word that the microphone is blocking the t-shirt oh yeah shivers. yeah well yeah okay. wriggle that way yeah occupy mars <laughs> just google it seriously um yeah i think uh so so that I, I enjoyed that book because i enjoyed understanding uh elon's background in particular came from nothing uh he's got a really interesting story the first part of that book is really interesting where you know he, he talks about his um his parents and the grandparents and, and being flown into the middle of south africa and dropped off on a plane and then just the whole family is sort of just left to fend for themselves with lions and tigers and this, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's nuts like it's uh ultimate resilience i love it um and clearly that kind of stuff has transpired somehow through dna and mechanics and goodness knows brain implants to him mm. which is pretty cool um he seems like a really resilient kind of guy and he he just he's not afraid to try stuff which is another really important thing right craig last question because we have like Five minutes right. left. Well, the, probably the most exciting question where are we going in the next 10 years? Yeah. We, what, what's ahead on the technology horizon? Look, I can't predict the future. <laughs> um, but I would definitely, you know, I think you can't really talk about the future without mentioning Kathy Wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you don't know who she is, you need to Google her immediately um, because she very much looks at, particularly in the tech space and the, uh, the bioscience space and, and now in the space space. knowing what's happening, isn't it? I mean, they're doing the research. Yeah, she does a huge amount of research. She she's, she's knows how to articulate her thoughts and um, you know, she's got a really good track record and um, it's worth listening to her in terms of someone to, to look a little bit into the future. But yeah, she, she looked well, According to her, you know, she looks a lot into um, uh, genomic sequencing, and um, she's just recently launched uh, an area for space 
in space, that's another area I think we mm -hmm. want to look at um, for future. Um, it's quite funny, you know, I think people, people, some people, not everybody, some people kind of laugh at some of the stuff that's happening now and poo-poo it a wee bit. Those same people were the ones that were poo-pooing the very first iPhone when Craig and I, you know, had them mm. and were showing people and they're like, you know, what the heck is... I remember that down on the strip in Christchurch. Yeah, yep. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Like, seriously, put that away, get, get your Nokia flip phone out, y'all. <laughs> 2160 or 6120 or whatever it is. Um, yeah, ever we were right, obviously. We took the right path, which, you know, yeah, is pretty cool. So, I don't know. The future, I think the future is really exciting. Mm. Yeah. I think I think the future is really exciting and um, embrace it, get into it. Okay. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today. Yeah. Um, but it has just been um, a really interesting chat and, and, and always good times with you, Aaron. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how well we know you and you've been here. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe and how you, much we've just learned. And new stories. <laughs> and you talk yeah. a lot. I know, I do, I do. I'm sorry. Um, I thought I'd better bring new material to the table. Oh, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Keeping <laughs> no it fresh. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. No problem. Okay, well, thanks everyone for joining us. And uh, before, you go, before you go, no, you need to go okay. onto my YouTube channel. Oh, yes, nine uh, and three. Nine and three. Nine and three. three. And you need to subscribe. Because I can, the only way I can monetize this channel is to have a thousand subscribers. So if we can get a thousand of you to get on that channel, and subscribe, just smash that like button, okay? And subscribe, y'all. Yeah, unashamed plug of his YouTube channel. It's gonna make me a fortune. That's yeah. the real future, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, unquestionably. Radio. okay, bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. If you enjoyed it, then you should probably subscribe. And you can even check out some of the other inspiring stories of everyday people who are driven by passion and belief to see their dream become reality. Or if you're in need of a little or not so little technical help, then head on over to customd.com and get in touch. <laughs>